Actually, today is, I was thinking about it, it hit me this morning, Elizabeth, early when I was up looking at the date and whatnot. Today is the 22nd anniversary, 22 years that we've been here at what was Church of the Wildwood, Lake Wildwood Baptist Church. 22 years today, isn't that crazy? Time flies when you're having fun, and it's been a fun 22 years for sure. Take your Bibles and turn to Philippians 4. Somebody's, one of you said, I want to say it was Miss Reba uh, leaving out, and it so encouraged my heart, and uh, Miss Reba always encourages me. Um, but she said to me, she goes, I'm kind of sad, Pastor. What are we going to do after Philippians? I said, I know, it's such a great book. Where are we going to go? So we're, we're praying about that, but um, we're going we're gonna to finish up Philippians pretty soon here. Uh, hard to believe, but it has been great, hasn't it? Okay, I think it's been great. <laughs> it's been good for me. It's good, good for my soul. I've entitled today's teaching, uh, what are, call, I just call it, What Are You Thinking? What are you thinking? Has, has anyone ever asked you that? What are you thinking? Or what were you thinking? Usually after you've done something stupid, right? Or were you thinking at all? Um, good question, right? So uh, one of the things I've tried to encourage you in and discipline myself too in, in this series is to keep things contextually sound. And this is another verse that continually gets pulled away from the context um, and preached on its own. And it'll stand on its own. But when you leave it in the context, it makes so much more sense. So I want to do something here. I want to back up a little bit. I want to go to verse number 2 and then just read through verse 8. I'm going to deal with verse 9 on its own next week. But um, let me just share with you, if you're in your Bible, verse number 2, it says this, Paul talking to these ladies, I implore Eudia and I implore Syntyche to be of the same mind in the Lord. And I urge you also, true companion, help these women who labor with me in the gospel, with Clement also. And the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. So we know right there we got two Christian women. They're Christians. Their names are in the book of life. They're redeemed by Christ. And, and they're, they're, they got different ideas about something. They don't have the same mind. Um, and Paul is just calling them out saying, hey, be of the same mind in the Lord. And you folks around them, help them. You all know what's going on. Get involved. Help these ladies. And then Paul gives us some of the most important, and I want you to hear me, some of the most cogent, powerful steps to resolve differences between believers. I think the first one is in verse number three. Sometimes we need outside help. And you know what that means? We've got to trust the people God put around us. Amen? How many of you know that when you go through a problem, I know I do this, and you got an idea of the problem with somebody else. Um, usually the people we go to, we make sure we go to the people that are going to agree with us. Y'all know what I'm talking about? Right? Mike's laughing. <laughs> You've lived enough life to know how that works, right, brother? Don't we do that? Why don't we go to the wise people that we, we think, well, you know what? <laughs> they might be on the other side of this issue. Don't be afraid to go to wise people who might disagree with you. Matter of fact, could I urge you? Search out wise people. That will look you in the eye and say, brother, I love you. You're wrong. And that's, I think that's, that's the first step in verse. Get some outside help from wise people who are going to shoot you straight. All right? 
Then in verse 4, he says, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, what? I say rejoice. Brag in the Lord. What has God done for you? I think this is so key. To rejoice, to brag in the Lord is to revisit your salvation, your relationship to God. Listen, when, I am, when my relationship to someone, another believer, is off, it's because one or both of us has lost sight of our relationship with the Lord. Amen? Go back. Revisit what God has done for you. It's a humbling thing. And two proud people have never fixed a problem together. They've only created more. We need to humble out. And boy, rejoicing in the Lord will not only joy your heart and gladden your heart, it'll humble you. It'll humble your pride. So that's the next step. Here's this one. Let your gentleness be known to all men. The Lord is right here, is what Paul is saying. Remember who's standing here with you in the midst of this disagreement. And exhibit to everyone around you the gentleness of Christ himself. And he was very gentle towards authentic people. Now, we dealt with this last week. Stop, being, stop worrying. Be anxious for nothing. Instead, in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. And what's the result? And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Stop worrying. And literally, in the context of this disagreement with another believer. Stop worrying. You're not going to get your own way. So instead of worry, go to prayer. And that first word for prayer, I told you last week, is a locative word. It's the location of prayer. Get real. The Lord is near is the last thing he said. Because the Lord's right here. Stop worrying. And realize that as you go to him who is right here with you, as God is right here, as you go to him, you, you literally go to his face. You are face to face with God. And present your request. And you do it with a thankful heart. Again, we've just, we've just revisited the joy of our salvation, right? Our hearts are gladdened in Him. And we thank Him in advance for peace in this relationship. And then we're a lot more willing to change some things. And then the peace comes. And the peace of God, which is hard to explain, but it's there. It's going to guard your heart, set your emotion, and your mind, your thinking... How does this happen? Through Christ Jesus. Now, in verse 8, he says, finally. That's a really, that's kind of, I understand why that's translated that way. It can also be translated next or in addition. I think that's a better translation. He's not shifting a gear to close yet. He's saying, in addition to that, speaking about, talking about this peace that passes all understanding. He said, because it's going to guard your what? Your heart, your emotions, and your what? What do you do in your mind? You think. So see, this, this connection's right here. And it's all in the context of relationships. He said, you need to, you need to, your thinking needs to be guarded. How many of you know our thinking needs to be guarded? Right? And God will do the guarding. That's the beautiful thing. Um, the peace of God will stand as century over your thoughts. He said, and next, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of a good report, if there is any virtue, if there's anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. 
Do you see that? This is, this, this is how do we procure this peace? We guard, we allow, allow the peace of God to guard our thinking. And so he goes into thinking. He said, here's what you need to think about. Because think about this for a minute. When you're, when you're crossways with somebody, where, where is, where's your thinking going? What are you thinking on? Are you thinking on these things that are true? Are we thinking on these things that are noble and just and pure and lovely and of a good report? Or are we thinking about how to get our own way and how they should be punished because they don't agree with us? You see what Paul's doing here? He says, here's how the peace of God is going to guard and keep you, keep your, you safe. So, let's talk about thinking. Did you realize that scientists tell us that we generally have about 10,000 thoughts a day? Now, for some of us, I doubt that number is true. <laughs> some of you, I'd be glad for 10 thoughts, you know, teenagers, right? 10 thoughts would take 10, but it's 10,000 thoughts. I don't think I had 10,000 thoughts a day when I was a teenager. You know what that works out to? Three and a half million thoughts a year. That's a lot of thinking. If you live to be 75 years old, you will have over 26 million different thoughts. Already today, at this point in the day, you've had over 2,000 thoughts since you got out of bed this morning. The first thought was, should I get out of bed? <laughs> And you'll probably have another 8,000 before you, you hit the sack tonight. And then guess what? You're going to start it all over again tomorrow. That's a lot of thinking, isn't it? And everyone, listen, every one of these 10,000 thoughts represents a choice that you've got to make and a decision to think about it or to not think about it. You say, okay, so what? Well, let me put it this way. Let me change the parameters a little bit. Let's say someone gave you $10,000 this morning. And they said the only catch is you have to spend it all before you go to bed tonight. I bet you'd be pretty careful how you spent that, wouldn't you? You would think about what is the most important thing to do. You'd take an inventory of how much money you got and, and what your needs are. And you would be really careful spending that $10,000. You know what's sad? I don't think we devote any time to thinking about our thinking. How we're going to spend and invest our thoughts. It's kind of sad that money is so important and thinking is not. But the Bible says as a man thinks in his heart, what? So is he. Thinking's pretty important at the end of the day. Ralph Waldo Emerson said it this way. He said, beware of what you set your mind on because that you surely will become. It's another way of saying, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. Uh, Norman Vincent Peale put it this way. He said, change your thoughts and you change your world. Right? Of course, Henry Ford, I think Henry Ford was grumpy. Uh, he, he, he thought about it a little bit differently. He said this, thinking is the hardest work in the world, which is why so few people engage in it. <laughs> Isn't that true? Change your thoughts and you change the world. I don't know. But here's what I do know. God gave you 10,000 thoughts a day, but it's up to you 
to do something with them. So the question is, how is your thought life? How is your thought life? I'll just throw this out to you real quickly. I, I think negative thinking can fall into four big categories and they're related to each other. I think the first one is self-pity. How many of you ever had a pity party? Invited me, myself, and I, right? We, we, did, we just think that we're, we're, we just got the worst hand dealt to us. You don't know what I'm going through. You try to live with this person for 24 hours and tell me how happy you are, right? All that kind of stuff. And we blame everybody and everything except the person we see in the mirror, and we get full of self-pity. Woe is me, right? And then that turns into blaming. When, when, when it's not your fault, it's somebody else's fault, we start blaming everybody around us. And how well does that work out when we start blaming everyone and everything around us? I have found in my life that that does not work out very good. And when you start blaming, then you start seeing yourself not as a victor, but as a victim. You see yourself as a victim. And by the way, here's a little free nugget this morning. Nobody follows a victim. Nobody follows a victim. And when we become that victim, then we have an unwillingness to change. That's the biggest thing that scares me in life. I don't want to become that person that just says, you know what, this is me and I'm, I'm not going to change anymore. I think at that moment you've died and your body just hasn't caught up with that reality. There's an unwillingness to change. And then you know what happens after that. When you refuse to change and life still is life around you, you get angry and you get bitter. You get angry and you get bitter. So be careful. That's not, that, those things do not mark the life of a believer. So your thoughts matter, and negative thinking leads to negative living. And I don't know how it happened, but, but Yudia and Syntyche ended up in this. You know, sweet and friendly, weren't being very sweet and friendly to each other. That's what their names mean. And they got in these patterns of negative thinking and negative behavior, and it was affecting the whole church. So Paul gives them this whole prescription to something they were lacking. At the end of the day, they were lacking peace. Peace in themselves and peace with each other. And Paul says, in your praying, here's how peace shows up. And in order to keep that peace around, you need to guard that peace by watching what you think. So that's our first point this morning is peace producing thinking in your outline. What is the thinking that produces peace? He says, finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if there's anything excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. So this verse right here gives us eight things, uh, eight things to think about. It gives us eight things to, with which we should question our thoughts. Before you think, before you speak, we should ask these questions. Here's the first question we should ask of our thinking. Is it true? Is it true? Whatever is true, um, it's the truth test. John Knox used to translate it this way as all that rings true. How many of you know sometimes your thinking doesn't ring true? What happens when you think about something that's not true, whether you know it or not? What does a lie give birth to? More lies, division. 
If I think something about you that's untrue, then I am not thinking correctly about who you are. Is it true? And half the time, if we would judge our thoughts against what is true, we would reject so many of them. How many times do we believe things or allow ourselves to embrace things or think things that have the ring of that do not have the ring of truth about them? So this question rules out all that is dishonest, untrue, and unreliable. We got to start being careful about what we think. Here's the next question: Is it noble? Whatever is noble, I love this word. Uh, noble means honorable or worthy of reverence and respect and awe. Is it honorable? How many of you know there's a lot of things you can think, but they're not honorable? Yeah. Right? Is that, is, that, is that worthy of respect? Is that worthy of reverence and awe? Because remember, the Lord is what? Here. That's what he says in the previous verse. Is it noble? It's a majestic word. It's awe-inspiring. Is it noble? Do we ponder things that are noble and of a serious purpose, or do we dwell on the frivolous and the trivial? Is it noble? Man, I don't, I'm amazed when we stop to think about our thinking and what we let in our life. So much stuff is not, it's not wrong, per se, of its, of its own thing. So, you know, is it wrong? To do, people come to me all the time, Pastor, is it wrong to do this or is it wrong to do that? I don't know if it's wrong, but is it praiseworthy? Is it, is it noble? Is it, an on, is it an honorable use of your mental space to think about such things? Here's the next one. Is it right? Whatever is right. That literally means whatever is in conformity to God's standards. Is my thinking in conformity to God's standards? Not is it right in my eyes. Or is it right in the eyes of other people? Or is it right in the eyes of culture? But is it right in God's eyes? Is this a right thought? If today we had a glitch on a computer and the screen went dark and all of a sudden your thoughts begin to be projected on the screen, would you be proud or embarrassed? That's a good question. Here's the next one. You see these virtues build on each other. Is it pure? Whatever is pure. That word literally means undefiled, chaste, clean, or holy. And it touches the entirety of what we call moral purity. It, and here's the question. Is your thought life clean? Is it? Or is it filthy? We've got to ask some hard questions. And, and we don't need to be allowing stuff in our thinking and embracing it and leaving it there unchecked and unfiltered. Here's the next thing Paul says, and beautiful as this, this purity leads to this one, whatever is lovely. And what's interesting about this word in the Greek, this is the only place in the entire New Testament that this Greek word is used. And it literally, literally means love towards it has the idea of attracting loveliness as a magnet attracts iron filings. Think about that. Are your thoughts attractive to things that are lovely? Things that are beautiful, truth, goodness, and beauty. Do your thoughts automatically attach themselves to that which is beautiful and lovely? Because here's the reality. A thought may be true, 
and even right, but still not be lovely. Think about that. Isn't that right? It could be true and it could be right, but it's not lovely. And if it's not lovely, it doesn't make you lovely. So don't say it, don't think it, don't do it, and don't dwell on it, and certainly don't repeat it. Here's the next one. Is it admirable? Whatever is admirable, that is worthy of study and contemplation. Or is it cheap and salacious? This question asks us to focus on the things that are positive and not negative, constructive, not destructive. The things that build us up and not tear us down. You know what this means? It means we've got to be editing our words so that we simply delete the non-admirable things from our vocabulary. The Bible says that we are going to be held accountable for every word that we speak. Right? That should, that should cause us to stop and think. Because you never say anything without thinking. You always think through everything you say. What's in the heart eventually comes out the mouth. Number seven, is it morally excellent? Is it morally excellent? And then number eight is attached to it. Is it what is morally excellent? Is it something that God would approve of? Is it God approved? Would God approve of this thought? Is it morally excellent? And when you take this all together, these eight questions, they point the way towards a change in our thinking. Paul says to these two women, this is what you need to think about. It's a command and it's in the present tense. In other words, you need to continually think about this category of thoughts. Now these two ladies were having some thoughts and most of them at this point in their disagreement did not fall into these categories. They might have been true, they might have been right, but were they pure and noble? Were they lovely? Did they attract that which is lovely? Was it admirable? Was it morally excellent? And did God approve? Obviously, God did not approve because through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, God's telling these women, get it together. You need to think, change your thinking. So we need to keep focusing our thoughts on these eight areas. Find what is true. Find what is lovely and think on that. Find the noble. Find, find the virtuous. And if you do it, verse 9 tells us that the peace of God will be with you. Think on those things and experience God's peace. And that's what these ladies were lacking. And maybe we are too. So as we kind of... I have one more thing to share with you today about this idea, and that is, how do you change your mind? And is it even possible? So, okay, so I need to, here's the point. You need to start thinking about your thinking. And that's like trying to look at your eyeball. It's just a weird thing, right? It's what logic is about, thinking about your thinking. You need to realize that it's not okay to let any thought jump in your mind. Because your thoughts don't all come from you. If I'm right, and I think I am from reading this book, your thoughts come from one of three places. Some thoughts you do generate. It's just you. Something called you generates these thoughts. Now, it could be generated from your spirit, which is one with the Holy Spirit. And in that case, that's a God-generated thought that flows through your brain. 
Other times, those thoughts are generated through your unredeemed, your unsaved flesh. How many of you know that your flesh is not yet born again? Your spirit is, and your soul is in the middle. Your intellect, emotion, and will, your personality is in the process of being redeemed. But your body doesn't have a prayer until God changes it one day. Amen? You with me? Sometimes your thoughts come through the vehicle of your flesh, influenced by uh, the world, the flesh, and the devil himself, right? So sometimes those thoughts come from negative sources, such as the enemy. And we need to learn to determine where are these thoughts coming from. Well, it's real easy. Take these eight things and use that as a filter for your brain. So here are some thoughts about how to change your mind. Number one, or how to be careful of your thoughts. Number one is analyze your input. What are you putting in your brain? What are you thinking about? What are you allowing to come through the eye gate of your mind? we got to be really careful about what we input. The old computer terminology is Geigo, garbage in, garbage out. If you don't like what's coming out of your life, ask yourself, what am I putting into it? When you start taking that far more seriously, I promise you. Um, is Anna in here? She was in here. She's probably out with Peter right now. She just finished a book that my wife and I both read back in July. Um, and in this book, it basically talks about being careful about what you allow into your mind, even how it gets into your mind and how it can affect negatively, literally the chemical balance of your brain. And this sounded like science fiction to me. I'm not going to lie to you. It sounded like, this was a little bit much. I, I didn't know if I believed it. And until I took, I took the basic, this whole book boils down to a challenge. And this doctor, this psychologist, challenges people to go on what she calls a dopamine fast. In other words, get off of all technology for a month and take some of these negative things, these negative uh, inputs into your life and just set them aside for 30 days and see what happens. And I did. And I was utterly shocked and amazed. And how true this was. I, had to, the, I was letting garbage in my brain and my thoughts, and it was affecting everything else. Well, duh, that's what Paul says here. That's a duh. No wonder. And well, the first thing that happened to me is the peace of God returned to my life. Because that's what the Bible says will happen when you, when you cut out the junk that you're letting into your life. Analyze the input. 2 Corinthians 10.5, write this down. You should go do a study of that this week. It says that as Christians, it says, take every thought captive and make it obedient to the authority of Christ. In other words, everything you think, you should put in handcuffs and make it bow to the reality and the authority of King Jesus. And I don't have time to get into it today, but just jot this down. Here's a quick way. This is not like a trick way to do it. But if you are a believer, and that's a big old if, I'm not saying you are. But if you are, then you are filled with something called the Holy Spirit. I should say someone called the Holy Spirit. And I'm going to tell you something. If you've got a thought, and sometimes I do. Sometimes you get some thoughts and you're not sure. I don't, I don't know. This one's a little gray. Is this, is this a God thought or is this coming from my flesh? We're, I'm not sure. Here's what you do. You don't think the thought, you say it out loud. Whatever that thought is, you just say it out loud in the form of a statement. And then at the end of it, you add, in Jesus' name. And I'm going to tell you something. If that thought has not originated from God, 
adding in Jesus' name to it as a believer will be like nails on a chalkboard. The Holy Spirit will let your spirit know, nope, that one did not come from God. That's a thought to be flushed and not embraced. Does that make sense this morning? Analyze your input. Here's the next one real quick is change your diet. That's part of analyzing your input. There's a lot of stuff that I don't need to have in my brain. I'm letting stuff in. So what do I need to do in the meantime? I need to change my diet. I need to change what I'm feeding on. Right? Whatever things are pure, lovely, just, of a good report, true. You know what that sounds like to me? That sounds like the Bible. I need, I need to put more of God's Word and God's principles into my life. I need to feed on it. And the more I do that, what? My thoughts change. Right? That's how we change our thinking. Folks, this is not even difficult to understand. It's just a mathematical ratio. It's even simpler than that. Do you all know what a seesaw is? You know what a seesaw is? They've ruined it in playground. You can't find a seesaw today because they're all safe. It's not a seesaw if there's not danger. But we, we've made everything safe. And seesaw, you remember back in the day, you get a seesaw with your older brother? And he gets you way up at the top, and what would he do? He would, it's because some of you have done that. Shame on you. You should repent today for doing it. But it sure is fun seeing that little kid come plummeting to the ground, right? I remember one time my brother did that to me, and I got a sliver in a very sensitive part of my anatomy. And I had to go home, and my mom had to take that sliver out. And I'm, I'm still traumatized by that. Right? It's a, it's a ratio. That's all it is. How much, how much are you putting in that's, that, that is true? What are you feeding on? Where, what are you weighting your life towards? And, you know, we walk around just negative and depressed and just blah because we're putting garbage in. What are you feeding on? God has given you a veritable feast of his word to feed on every day. And yet we're attracted to the garbage heap. He has invited us to a seat at the table of the king, and we're satisfied to feed in the garbage dump of the world. Change your diet. Do that for one week. You will come in here a different person. Here's another one. Examine the influence of your friends. I call that a friend check. Friend check. Who are you hanging out with? Someone said that you, you are basically the composite of your five closest friends. You are what they are. I got some friends that I really enjoy being with. I mean, I really do. They're interesting folks. They're different. But you know, at the end of the day, when I stop and think about what, do they compel me towards Christ or do they confirm me and my propensity to feed out of the garbage dump of the world. And it's the last one. And as much as I really enjoy them as a person, I, I had to limit my time with them. So they're not good for me. How many of you know you got some friends that aren't good for you today? You need to analyze that. You need to do a friend check. And you need to find, you need to find some people you admire and say, boy, you know, that, that guy right there, he seems to have it together in his relationships I want to become his friend. I want to spend some time with him and learn from him. It's a friend check. And here's the last one. Um, memorize scripture. David said, your word have I hid in my heart that what? 
I might not sin against you. That's also input there. As you analyze your input, but boy, when you fill yourself, here's the idea. When you're full of God's Word, there's not room for anything else. Does that make sense? We need to be memorizing Scripture. In the classes that I'm teaching this, this year, it's been a very interesting um, year so far, teaching these high school Bible classes. But one of the things that I'm doing is I'm having them memorize key portions, key, key Bible verses, and, and, and I think they're used to just memorizing it to write it down on Friday and then forgetting it. Except I have them write them all down every Friday. And they can't believe what a horrible, mean teacher that I am. That I would actually expect them to continually have these verses memorized. And so what we do, we start out every, I think we're up to eight verses now, different verses of the Bible. And we start out every morning, and now I'm to the point, and they are too, because they're used to it. Every single morning I'll say, okay, 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. Right? And, and they'll, they'll start quoting it. All scriptures given by inspiration of God. Right? And we'll go all with it. It's profitable. We'll go through all, okay. Very good, Genesis 1.1, and, and we'll all quote it together. Very good, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. All right, Romans 1, 16 and 17, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto the salvation to the Jew verse and also to the Greek, for in it. So we go through that, Romans 1, and then we, Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Romans 6.23, um, help me out, Elizabeth. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. And this week's verse of Ephesians 2, 8, 9, for it's by grace that you have been saved through faith. And it's not of yourself, not of works, lest anyone should boast. Right? What is that? That is hiding God's word in my heart that I might not sin against him. It's taking it seriously. It's garbage in, garbage out. But here, the reverse of that is also true. You, put, you, you take in truth, beauty, and goodness, and you ingest that, and you memorize that, and you let that become a part of your perceptual set and your thinking, and guess what comes out of you? Truth, goodness, and beauty. Stuff that looks a lot like Jesus. Remember, you're not what you think you are, but what you think you are. You're not what you think you are, but what you think you are. As a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. When's the last time you thought about your thinking? Specifically, when you're bumping heads with somebody, and you're both followers of King Jesus, you both have his Holy Spirit, and yet you've let your mind drift to the dark side of thinking. You need to grab a hold of that. You need to force it to bow to the authority of Jesus Christ. And you need to embrace and think about truth, goodness, and beauty. Follow Paul's recipe for relational harmony. And the peace of God will stand like a bouncer at the door of your heart. And your mind, your thinking. And you'll be amazed at what happens. Because at the end of the day, here's the reality. Your mind is the best predictor of your future. You realize that today? Your mind is the best predictor of your future. If you focus on the truth, you're going to speak the truth. 
If you look on noble things, nobility is going to mark your life. If you seek out lovely things, your life will be lovely to others. If you dwell on that which is right, that which is wrong will have no attraction to you. If you think on pure things, you will become pure. If you look for virtue, you'll find it. And if you search for higher things, it will elevate your life. What are you thinking about? And when's the last time you thought about your thoughts? I think this is truly this, the, the second to last step that Paul has for these ladies. And the last one is, hey, if you're struggling with what this looks like in the real world with skin on, just look at me. And I don't think Paul's being prideful here. I think he's just saying, hey, sometimes we need examples that make sense to us that I can wrap my mind around. He said, just do what I do. You've seen me live this out when I was with you and started your church. So you know what this looks like with skin on. And next week, that's going to be the, what I'm going to ask you. Are you a peacemaker? Can people look to you and say, you know what? That's what it looks like to live in relational harmony with other saints. Am I followable? Do I want my children to live in the future like I'm living today? Does my life attract that which is lovely? Maybe it starts with our thinking.